welcome to today's episode of the Group Therapy Podcast. Today we have returning guest, filmmaker, director, Donald Farmer. Uh, we are going to be talking about his newest movie to be released, Debbie Does Demons. Uh, Donald, tell us a little bit about it. Well, uh, Debbie Does Demons is a movie that sort of shows what happens when you mess with the Ouija board and conjure a witch, which is something you probably should not do. Uh, our main characters are Debbie, who is a TV host. She hosts a late night paranormal ghost hunter spook show where she talks about spooks, you know, in history and current spooks. Uh, and she shows little vignettes to illustrate what she's talking about. So she has a very entertaining late night show for people that are into ghosts, witches, or demons. And then our other main character is uh, Carmilla Karnstein, who is a 300-year-old witch who tangled with a witch finder uh, back in her day. And uh, modern day people look at her as a historical character. They think she's long dead because how can anyone live 300 years? But uh, when these teenagers sort of conjure her with their Ouija board addicts, it brings her into the present day. And so then she starts unleashing all sorts of havoc, wanting to turn everybody into demons, wanting to open the gates of hell so the demons can rule the earth, other bad things that we probably shouldn't want to happen. So the teenagers now have a new objective. Instead of fiddling with a Ouija board, which got them into all this trouble, now they have to figure out how to get rid of her. And so one of the teenagers has the bright idea that maybe they should contact this TV ghosty host, Debbie, who seems to be an expert on all this stuff, and see if she can help them out with this dilemma. And so that's like the basic plot, and it sort of goes from there. Well, I, I enjoyed it. Um, it is very much a, uh, for me particularly, was a... Uh, Throwback to the uh, the late '80s, early '90s direct to DVD or direct to VHS movies back in the day. Um, it, it, if it would have came out 30 years ago, it would have definitely had like Debbie Rashawn. You would had, but you have like the 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 next you know evolution of those girls in this movie. With uh, yeah, I've actually done two movies with Debbie Rashawn, so. And I did a witch movie with her, Chainsaw Cheerleaders, where the villain is also a witch. Yeah, Debbie's in that one too. It's a it, it, then then it's a calling. It's it's it's. It, do you have do you have do you do you have another one so you can have the witch trilogy? <laughs> uh, well, I'm probably going to uh, do uh, another witch movie before long. I've I've got a title I want a film called Witches on Wheels, which is about a gang of motorcycle witches. So. I'd like to do that one at some point. Oh man, those are great. That that's a, a throwback to what was it? Werewolves on Wheels and all those from the late. Yeah, the big problem with doing that, I would have done that one already. It's just that the problem is finding actresses who can ride motorcycles. So well, it's very difficult to find. At least I'd like to find at least three actresses that are uh, good at uh, riding motorcycles, which is something that's very very hard to find. Yeah, because because you can just do like they do in a lot of movies. It's just the 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 stunt person wearing you have somebody wearing the helmet riding it, and then as soon as they get off, they pull their hair off. And it's yeah, I mean we we may have to go the green screen way because uh, I don't think I'm going to be able to find three actresses that are. So it's probably better just to do a green screen and make it look retro anyway. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. But uh, I would like to do that at some point. Then I would have a witch trilogy. Cool, cool. Um, j j I gotta admit that I I discovered Debbie Does Demons because I did an interview with Angel a while back, and I found her like you know her uh, sizzle reel thing, and it had little bits and clips from that. I'm like, all right, now I have to see this movie. So, <laughs> and then I found out. Then I got contacted her. She said it wasn't out yet. I contacted you. Then you hooked me up with the. Uh, the I guess the screener, and uh, now I've got to get the other. I got to get an actual physical copy ordered. But um, yeah, you can get that from uh, Vinegar Syndrome right now. Yeah, they've well, uh, still got uh, some in stock. Yeah, I got I got to order that. Hopefully this weekend. I my 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 whole life has been hectic right now. I got my con coming up next weekend, so I'm going a thousand miles an hour. But which uh, which con is that? 
Um, I do one here in Pickle called PickleCon. Um, it's a little hometown convention with uh, comic books. I got uh, usually I have somebody in the uh, independent horror film, and I think I got one person if if everything goes all right. Um, but we're hoping for the November show to be the first of our big ones. Uh, we're hoping to go two days. We're, we're looking at booking guests now and, uh, it's, it's going to be a big one. So hopefully so. Yeah. Yeah. I do. I do a small convention, uh, in Manchester, Tennessee, where I'm based at, we just did our second one and it's now called the Scream Queen Shockathon. And so we had all the main stars of Debbie Does Demons uh, guests at this last one, which was two months ago. We had uh, Jess Flux, we had Angel Bradford, and we had Morgan Thompson. So all three of them were our guests of honor. Plus, on top of that, we had uh, Tim Ritter and we had uh, Gorotica director Hugh Gallagher. Cool. Well, it, so and, we'll, and, we'll probably do another one of those next year. Yeah. Well, it's it, it's nice being able to to get these younger uh, actors and actresses out there for for the masses that 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 wouldn't really get them because you know you go to a big horror convention, everybody goes to the big horror people. You know, a lot of the little people get kind of forgotten along the wayside, but unfortunately. Yeah, Jessa and I are doing a big horror show in June. We're doing the uh, Bride of FrankenCon, where uh, the guests are going to be Patty Mullen from Frankenhooker, yeah. plus uh, the director of Frankenhooker, uh, Frank Henenlotter. We're going to have the star of uh, Cannibal Holocaust and a lot of other great people. So uh, that's going to be a very exciting show in Knoxville in June. Just yeah. go to Google. People want to go look up Bride of FrankenCon. Yeah, I just I just did an interview with uh, one of the promoters, Richard. So, the other, a while back about uh, Bride of Frankencon, I was supposed to be there, but it looks like that's going to fall through for me, unfortunately. Because I've I've. And what state are you in? Ohio. Uh huh. Yeah, well, that's a doable drive, but a long drive. Yeah, it's just five, a little over five hours, I think, maybe. Yeah, I drove to Cleveland once when I was a guest at. Uh, convention and it took me forever to get there. That's a miserable drive going to Cleveland from Tennessee. Well, it's a miserable drive going to Cleveland from where I live because it's going. To be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. So, with, with with doing Debbie does demons. Um. Like I said, it definitely feels like a throwback movie. Did you go for the throwback movie feel, or is it just kind of how it ended up? Well, I wanted it to have a horror comedy feel, so that. It would have some amusing parts, and I wanted some of the actors to be over the top. I like people to be very big on camera. And so uh, my next movie is going to be more of a straight down the road. It's going to be most of the scenes are going to be played a little straighter. Uh, but this one, Debbie Does Demons, was an excuse to, uh, uh, you know, see how big we could get and let the actors uh, chew a little scenery because that's always very entertaining. Of course, you can't really plan on doing that unless you have actors that are capable of delivering a big performance. You have to have actors that can spit out tons of dialogue and do it in a very entertaining way. Uh, not every actor can do that, as I've found to my sorrow. So you have to get people that are really capable of it. But our three leads, Jessa and Angel and, and Morgan, are all super actresses in they're all really able to bring their roles to life. And that's probably why they work so much. People have, the secret is out that these are not only beautiful ladies, but they're incredible actresses and they can really take your movie to the next level if you put them in it. So that's why all three of them are just constantly working now because everybody wants them in their movie. Yeah. I mean, those three are, one is I've, I've, I've been able to talk to Angel. I've been able to talk to Morgan they're just fun people. Uh, Jessa comes off very, very much, very positive, very fun person too. I like I said, I haven't, I haven't had a chance to interview her yet. Um, but yeah, getting really active, playful, bigger than life people, and Jessa comes off very bigger than life, and <laughs> she is uh, pretty funny to see to see because. She, you know, like you said, chewing up scenery, being cheesy, and she took control of what felt like every scene she was in. Yeah, and she's also very serious about 
her part. She's very serious about studying the script and getting her lines down cold so that when she uh, shows up for the shooting day, you know, she can nail all of her takes. And so I really appreciate that, that she takes such a serious interest in really, you know, the first time we did a movie together was for the remake of Cannibal Hookers. And I gave her very little dialogue for that one because I really wasn't sure what her full capabilities were. But she's really developed uh, in these several movies. She's played on a over a dozen movies between that one and Debbie Dust Demons. And she's really uh, broken out and showed she's uh, capable of delivering incredible performances. You do not have to be shy about giving her lots of dialogue. She can definitely handle it and not just to say the word. She can bring them to life and be really dynamic and really pop off the screen. So that's what we want. You know, some actors that can uh, do that. Yeah, and the the nice part about having Angel on there too is is her character comes off very real, very like like it's not you know Angel anymore. It's Debbie, you know. It's <laughs> it, it's very you know that everybody seems to really find their role and and does well with it. So. Yeah, and Angel got a challenge that Debbie does demons because she really gets to play two sides of her character's persona. She's the on-camera Debbie, where she's one way, and then we wanted to show the off-camera Debbie is a no-nonsense girl that you cannot fuck around with. And we do that. We have the director of her show constantly hitting on her, and so we have different ways for her to you know, say no to him in uh, diplomatic, polite ways, which he is too dense to fully understand. He doesn't even realize when he's being rejected. And so I thought that was sort of cute to have him be so such an idiot that every time she rejects him and doesn't want to go out with him, she, he doesn't even fully comprehend that he's being rejected. He, he always, everything she says, he always sees a glimmer of hope. <laughs> but But there is a chance. It's like, I wouldn't date you if you were the last man on earth. Uh, so you're saying that there isn't <laughs> that type of guy, but that's pretty frankly, there are a lot. Of, I, I deal with guys like that at my shop almost on a daily basis. Guys who think that, that yeah, that well, I thought that would be a, yeah, I thought that would be a good little running thing for her to have that type of relationship with him where he's no, nothing she can say to him is going to deter him. He's going to keep on trying. If we ever make a sequel, he'll probably keep on trying. <laughs> What you should do is just have him in all your movies, just always like show up for even just a minute and hit on somebody, and then get blown <laughs> off, and then he goes off, and then the next movie he's appears in the background. Just always have the guy getting blown off. Um, but yeah, he and 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 that guy and I. Sorry, I I, I just based on his name. Uh, is it Ryan? Uh huh. Yeah. 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 There it is. Yeah. He, and he does such a good. He does a very good job. I mean, he he comes off as as a re real kind of legitimate, just kind of. I've, I've. He's also working quite a lot. He's done a. He's done two or three movies since Debbie. I think he's in the new Amityville Ripper movie. Oh, that's. Let's see. And then. Uh, I'm not gonna lie. Uh, uh, Adam as the boyfriend is hilarious. So, <laughs> oh yeah, shoot, he's in woke. He's in uh, bad girls. Jeez, wow, you're right. He's everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's uh, he's another one working a lot, working a lot. Yeah. Do you do you feel like a, a, a um, I, I don't know how to put it a better way. A, a proud father when you when you find these people, you give them these acting jobs and stuff, and then they go off to to really start sprouting their wings. Yeah, yeah, I've had a few of my actors become really huge success stories. Probably my biggest success story was when I made Vampire Cop, and I hired this actor uh, named uh, Ray McKinnon to be the second uh, lead, the second the one of the bad guys. And uh, at the time I hired him, he had only done he had done one line of dialogue in driving miss daisy but uh, then that movie went on to win the oscar for best picture which enabled him to get a top hollywood agent because he had that on his resume and then once he got a hollywood agent he just blew up and he's been in all sorts of stuff he's worked with clint eastwood in a perfect world he's worked with jodie foster and summersby he's worked with warren Beatty and bugsy 
He uh, just most recently co-starred with Matt Damon as Matt Damon's best friend in the movie Ford versus Ferrari. And now he's in a new TV miniseries with Batman himself, Michael Keaton. So he's just uh, gigantic. And on top of that, he won an Academy Award a few years ago for producing a, li a live action short film. He won in the category best live action short film. So he's, he's now the only one of my former actors to have an Oscar. That's 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 pretty cool. That's, that's, uh... And then and then my makeup guy that I discovered for Cannibal Hookers that was his uh, his name is Brian Sipe and that uh, when I hired him that was his very first job. Nobody had ever hired him to do makeup before, and since then he now has worked with Brad Pitt on Benjamin Button. He worked with Arnold Schwarzenegger on one of the recent Terminator sequels. He's worked on several X Men movies. He's just the guy is gigantic, and it all started with Cannibal Hookers. <laughs> Hey, you know what? It, it, it's we had this discussion at my shop a while back. You get all these people, and you start looking at some of these these A list actors now, and they started out in horror movies. A lot of them started out in low budget, no budget horror films. Oh and, yeah, Brad Pitt started out in a slasher movie. That in class. class. Yep. Yep, and he's only in it for five minutes, maybe. I know. I know it's not long, well, but when uh -huh. he got. When he got big, they plastered they plastered him all over all of the VHS covers back in the day. So, <laughs> you, do you do you ever go back and redo any of your movies to put like if your actors blow up, you can put them on the cover? Well, that would be more up to my distributor than me. That would be their choice. And so far, none of my distributors have wanted to do that. But that would be the option of my distributors. Uh, we had another actor that I gave him his very first acting role in Cannibal Hookers, the original one. And the very next movie he did after making his movie debut in Cannibal Hookers was he was immediately hired for a speaking part in Nightmare on Elm Street 5. So he made a big leap from my cheapy movie to a major uh, horror franchise. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. Um, I, I, I don't want to give too much of, of Debbie does demons away um like i said I, I i recommend it i'm telling everybody to go to 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 buy it or you know check it out whenever they can um okay so the scene in the cemetery at the beginning and then towards the end uh was it a same day shoot or no those those two scenes were like a couple years apart okay the first scene in the cemetery we filmed that over two years ago, two or two and a half years ago. And then after we filmed that scene, I was immediately hired by Wild Eye Releasing to direct two movies for them back to back. I made uh, Bigfoot Exorcist and Shark Exorcist 2. So we had to put Debbie Does Demons aside until I could do these two movies where I was hired by them to direct those. And those were basically in-house productions that they funded. And then after I finished those two movies, then I returned to Debbie's Does Demons and shot all the rest of the movie. And so that cemetery scene is two years earlier than all the other cemetery scenes in the movie. Wow. I mean, because they... But they... it's fine because it, that was the flashback scene. And so <laughs> we shot that sort of in the past and then... When we got ready to go back to WS Demons, we shot all the modern day scenes, which now, is 95% of the movie. Yeah. Um, so, so I got to ask though, shooting in the cemetery, uh, gorilla style, did you just get in there, shoot, and get oh, out? Yeah, definitely, I'm, not, I'm definitely not going to ask permission to go. We just, you know, whenever I want to shoot in a location where I figure they might say no if I ask permission, I usually just march right in and start shooting just to. I did scope out the cemetery before I took my crew and cast in there. I scoped it out just to see how often the security per patrolled it. And I found out, uh, I've been to other cemeteries where they actually have security guards. There's one cemetery in Nashville where they have a policeman there all day long, and he's like a paid security guard. But this cemetery, even though it's the biggest cemetery in Nashville, it did not have any police. It did not have any paid security guards. All it had is a maintenance man who drives around in a battered pickup truck doing maintenance on various parts of the cemetery. And so we found out with only a maintenance man to deal with and no actual police security, we would have no trouble. And I was correct. We had absolutely no trouble. Even when the maintenance man drove his truck near where we were filming, 
uh, where we were in his eye shot. He never stopped, never asked us anything. So we had no trouble at all. So it paid to go for me to go there first and scope it out and verify that there would be no police security because a cemetery with on premises police security, I would think twice about filming there. Yeah. Well, it, it, it you know, cause I hate to say this, but you, you have a, uh, very attractive cast to, to, to <laughs> don't want to put that, but, uh, I, I could definitely see some security guys be like, "What filming? What are we doing over here?" <laughs> no, whenever we were doing anything involving nudity, we just made sure that the maintenance man's truck was nowhere near us. You know, whenever he passed us, he was making his rounds, and so every time he pa passed us, we knew it would be at least another thirty minutes before he would double around to our area again because the cemetery is gigantic. It's it's the biggest cemetery. Uh, well, it's the second biggest cemetery I've ever filmed in, but it's definitely the biggest cemetery in America I've ever filmed in. It's gigantic. It's bigger than some of the giant cemeteries I filmed at in uh, New Orleans. It's bigger than any of those. Uh, the only cemetery I've ever filmed at that's bigger is we filmed in Père Lachaise in Paris once for my movie, An Erotic Vampire in Paris. That's a cemetery where Jim Morrison is buried. Mm -hmm. And so that is probably the biggest. That cemetery is a maze, and you could really easily get lost in it it's so gigantic but this cemetery we filmed that is by uh you know i've never seen a bigger one in america it's just huge and it's also like a maze i got lost in there once yeah. when i was scoping it out and it took me uh 45 minutes to figure out how to get out of it it doesn't take long to get lost in a cemetery when it all starts blurring together it all looks the same but man that that has it that has a really nice setup where you filmed that that, uh, well, I, that's because I drove all over the cemetery when it was on my own time when I was scoping it out. I drove all over looking for the most visually interesting monument. And the one I liked the best was this monument where they had the two Egyptian sphinx kind of characters guarding a tomb. So you had to walk between the two sphinx figures down this long walkway to this monument that then just had a giant obelisk at the end of it. And so I thought that was uh, the most visually interesting. I, I liked all the Egyptian imagery because it reminds me of that movie, Dr. Fives Rises Again. Yep. So, uh, yeah, but to find this place, to get to the cemetery, there's a, we had to make quite a few turns. So before I took the cast and crew in there, I had to carefully map out every turn we were going to have to take so that when I led all my actors and crew to this location, that I would be able to figure out how to get us out again. Because yeah. just like we had to take the maybe 10 turns to get to this place, we had to take all those turns in reverse to get out. Well, and also, I guess, I mean, you know, yeah, you had to worry about the one maintenance guy. But, man, if he decided to call and you had to try to hurry up and get out of there before the cop showed up, that would suck. Well, we had no trouble. You know, I figured we wouldn't. I, I figure maintenance men have a lot of plenty to do and they don't have uh, they don't need to worry about us. Yeah. And, and one of the reasons I asked was because um, in, in the first part, uh, Jess said no top. In the second part, Jess said top. That's why I wanted well, that, was a, that was the final day we went to the cemetery. And we just decided on that day not to push our luck anymore. Because <laughs> we'd successfully filmed with her topless in the cemetery that one time. So we decided the next time it was better to be safe than sorry. Because that was one of the last scenes I needed to wrap the movie. And I didn't want anything to happen to interfere with us wrapping the movie. Uh, the only time I ever was in danger, I thought of getting kicked out of a cemetery. One time, I, well, it wasn't a cemetery, but one time I was at a palace in Russia. I was filming at the summer palace of Catherine the Great called Peterhof, which is a giant palace with uh, dozens of solid gold life-size statues all over the place. And we were filming with this beautiful uh, Uzbekistan actress. And all of a sudden, two cops approached us, and we thought they were going to, want to know why we were filming there without a permit, but it turned out all they wanted to do was flirt with our actress. So as soon as they, they just walked right by me and went straight to her and started hitting on her. So that was, that turned out to be, you know, just uh, nothing to worry about. They weren't going to kick us out after all. There you go. Keep keep yourself, ha have attractive women around to, 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 uh, uh, to uh, the, the guys are just distracted just enough. They don't get, don't get in trouble. Um, now, with, with Debbie Does Demons, I, I know right now you're, you've gone back and touched on some of your older movies, like uh, uh, Adam is, is uh, 
uh, Reed is directing your a remake of Scream Dreams and stuff like that. Are are you working on something connected with Debbie? Are you going to do a sequel? Are you going to, you know? Well, we do have a new movie uh, that we're planning, but uh, I'm not going to announce the title until we get closer to shooting. So I'm way, I'm uh, I'm not going to announce anything until probably uh, the end of summer. But we do have a we do know what our next movie is, but it's right now we're not gonna we don't want to announce it until we have some photos to show. Yeah, because like, I was thinking about this while I was watching that. I was like, man, I was like, you could you could wrap an entire universe around just the Debbie character. Yeah, but yeah, I I mean, I am thinking there's possible possibility that we would like to do a sequel at some point. the The question is, do you call it Debbie Does Demons Two, or do you call it Debbie Does More Demons? You know, it's question or, is what to call it. <laughs> Or introduce new monsters. Debbie does witches. Debbie does vampires. Debbie does. You well, know. I like the I like the uh, alliteration. I like titles that have alliteration. The uh, repetition of three successive consonants. Yep. So I'm a very big fan of alliteration. I will say that our next movie is also going to be an alliterative title with a uh, triple consonant repetition. Or you can have the Debbie Debbie does devils. You can because <laughs> she did demons. She's going to upgrade the devils the next time. Well, that's possible because at least it's a D word. Yep. <laughs> um, now, did, did you have the cast or the, the characters first? Did the characters come first or did the cast come first? Well, uh, I knew that whatever I do, that I'm going to have Jessa in it. And I'd already done one movie with Angel, so I knew Angel was going to be in it. So Morgan was the newbie. She was... This was my first movie with her, but now that I've worked with her and been super impressed by her, uh, I would definitely like to keep working with her. So, uh, yeah, so, but uh, I'd already, I knew as I wrote it that uh, Angel and uh, Jessa would be in it. But yeah, but I had the characters all planned out. So, uh, whenever I write a script, it's always good if you can write for specific actors because then you know what they're, uh, people you've worked with before, because then you know what their capabilities are. Uh, we've had cases where we would write for an actor or actress who I'd never worked with before and then find out, you know, in one case, I don't want to name names, but we found out this actor couldn't deliver the volume of lines I'd given him. So we had to chop out all his dialogue because we found out he, you know, really wasn't capable of speaking and scratching his head at the same time. So you got to find out what people's capabilities are. That, that would be a shame to, to write an entire role for a person and then realize that they can't perform that role. That's why I just like to use mainly people I've worked with before. That way there's no surprises. Yeah. And and the, the, the cool part about it is is that this movie, like I said, I've got to introduce more, inter, interview Morgan. I've interviewed Angel. Uh, I'm friends with uh, uh, Tony Hack that you've got in there. Um, Tony's a good guy. Um, uh, Less, um, I, I, I kind of know him a little bit, and it's funny to see people that I know in your movies, <laughs> I know personally, but mm -hmm. it, it is, it is, like I said, it is a very fun movie. Um, it, it I, I, don't, I don't take this, I, I mean, this in the best possible manner, is it reminds me of. For some reason, it reminds me so much of uh, Sorority Babes at the Slime Ball Bullorama. Oh yeah, that's the everybody likes that movie. Yeah. that's probably that's probably David Dakota's best movie. That was always his best. Uh, I've never, I don't, I don't think he's ever topped it. I think that's his his top film. Just like Fred Olin Ray's top film is probably Hollywood Chainsaw Hookers. I think Sorority Babes is David's best film. Yeah, and and, and there's just. Little bits of that movie that your, your movie that reminds me so much of Sorority Babes, and you know, yeah, well, Sorority Babes had that uh, as an actor that I've used before, Michael Sony, who plays the voice of the demon imp or the imp character in yep. Sorority Babes. Uh, but mainly, I wanted to have a puppet demon in my movie, uh, because we did have a de uh, demon puppet in my movie Scream Dream that people loved. And so we got a you know a lot of comments over the years about that was their favorite part of Scream Dream, that they liked the little demon rat puppet. And so I decided that once we had a, an effects guy capable of making me a new puppet, uh, that we should go for it and have a puppet that would outdo the Scream Dream puppet. 
And so uh, Josh uh, Weslick uh, made this puppet for us, and he did a great job because I, I think that's one thing I always like to have. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to have – it's much better than having a CGI creature. I just think people really like an old-fashioned monster puppet. Yep. Because, of, because of, you know, I like practical effects whenever possible. Oh yeah, and and, and uh, um, the uh, I'm I'm not gonna lie, I I, I kind of laugh my butt off at the uh, uh, the Jessa um, uh, demon scene. It <laughs> it was yeah. Well, we knew we we knew we wanted that in the movie because uh, I knew that would be a a crowd pleaser. So we wanted something in there that we knew that the crowd would take away from the movie and say, if there's only one thing you got to see in this movie, it's this scene. <laughs> Now, when you put together Debbie, uh, when you when you were writing the script and everything, did you have um, an idea way before? Did you know what you wanted to put in the movie, like the like the demon scene, or did you just kind of end up with? No, that? I usually have the movie fully plotted out uh, or outlined before I write the script. So that by the time I write the script. I already have the whole movie plotted out and I know exactly what elements we are going to have because when you're making movies on a low budget, you have to very deliberately consider what are going to be your money shots, your memorable scenes that you can afford to have. And you want to space them out a little bit so that the audience gets something like that every 10 minutes or every 15 minutes. So you have to plan your movie in sort of a strategic way. A lot of times it's a good idea to have something very memorable in the first 10 minutes of the movie before people don't have to wait so long for something interesting. That's why we have that nude scene in the cemetery right away at the beginning so that people can get, you know, if that's what it takes to get a hooked on the movie, they get it fairly quickly. And, uh, but yeah, I like to keep, I, I usually, whenever I'm writing, I have the whole movie plotted out before I write it. I, I think about it for a few weeks and plot it out in my head so that uh, as I'm going through the script, it's mainly a matter of putting the dialogue in all the scenes that I've already plotted out. Okay. Um, now, now, when you put together the movie, you get the movie. Um, this one was, uh, was this an Indiegogo movie too? Uh-huh, yeah. yeah. Do, do you, you know, if you go over X amount, do you put scenes into the movie? Like you go, hey, man, I can afford to put this in. Or, you know, I can afford to do this now. Well, we were, uh, we had a, a very t a tighter script than normal on this one. I didn't want to have any, uh, some of my movies have had scenes in the past that people say are padded scenes that aren't necessary to the plot. So I wanted this movie to be tighter and not have any scenes that could be construed as a padded scene. Shark Exorcist, we were guilty of that quite a lot. We had quite a few padded scenes. That's because our first cut of the movie came in it under an hour and it had to be 70 minutes for distribution so we had to instantly whip up all these extra scenes to make the movie hit the 70 minute mark but uh when we did our first assembly edit of debbie does demons it came in right on the money at about 75 minutes a little in you know, since 70 is the minimum that's very comfortable because it was five minutes over the minimum so we didn't really have to do any extra scenes or padded scenes for debbie because it the first edit came in right on the money Oh, nice. It, it, it's, I, I was kind of worried because I've talked to some other people and, you know, they're like, oh, you know, we, we plot this movie, we put this in and we have scenes that we'd like to put in. And it was only if the budget ever got over a point, we could actually put the scenes in. So that's what I had to ask. Mm -hmm. yep. um, now, no, I don't really like to work that way. I like to have a, a game plan going in where I know what all my effects scenes are. I know what my money shots are because you can only afford to have so many effect scenes in a low budget movie. So you have to discuss them. You know, for example, for my next movie, uh, Jesse Seltz is doing the FX. And so, you know, we, we try to have a clear understanding with her what the effects are going to be so that uh, there's no surprises, no last minute requests that we haven't prepped her for. And that way, uh, you know, we have a very solid idea of how to promote the movie logistically because you have to be like that. You have to be almost like an engineer and lay these movies out uh, in a very uh, methodological way where you plan for everything because on a low budget, you have no uh, room for maneuvering if you uh, stray from your initial plan. So you have to 
plot these things out, you know, very precisely. You know, effects scenes usually cost money, so you have to figure out how much effects can I afford and where will they and where will they happen. Yeah. And then there's there's a primary effects and secondary effects. Primary effects usually have to be done by an expert. Secondary effects usually myself or one of my assistants can do. The secondary effect may be a scene that's bloody involving blood gushing out with a tube, which is something I can do myself. I can fix that up. I've done it before. I know how to do basic effects. On my martial arts movie, The Strike, I did most of the makeup effects on that movie myself. Uh, the effects of people's face after they've been beaten to a pulp in a karate championship. I, I did all this beaded, beaten up face makeup. So I can do a limited amount of makeup myself. But for anything very advanced, involving prosthetics or whatever, I'd rather have a expert do it. Yeah. And Jesse, you know, our effects person on our next movie is definitely an expert. She just worked for uh, the Barbara Crampton movie, Jacob's Wife. And so she's got a great resume. That's that's cool. Because uh, that, that's pretty, that's a pretty good uh, 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 pedigree coming from uh, that movie. Yeah, so she's going, she's going to be going straight from uh, Barbara Crampton to uh, to Jessa, who I think is the uh, new Barbara Crampton. <laughs> yeah, it, you, and it's funny because I've, I've gone back and watched, checked out some of your older movies and stuff like that over the years, and uh, you use very real women, um, you know, because... You, you get some of these guys that that put these movies together, and all their women are are almost you know cookie cutter. And you have attractive women in your movies, but different body styles, different hair, you know, different. And I, I enjoy that because it's not a lot of the same. No, I don't want everyone to look the same because in life people don't no. look the same. So. I like to have a variety of have people of all different looks. It, it does make it more real. Also, it increases the likelihood that the actual audience member uh, or the average lady watching these movies will find someone in the film she can identify with. Yeah, and and I was just going to say that you get you get the the um, you get the people who can identify with that, and you can also get the people that just find okay, I like that that woman is attractive, you know, or that one or that one or that one. And one of the problems is, is that with me, I hate to say this, I'm getting older and you get all these movies and the average age on the cast is, you know, 23, 24. That's creepy for me because it's younger than my kids. But, you know, you get, you know, you're, you're always getting different body styles, different ages. Um, and I just, I enjoy that as someone who watches movies uh, as a, as a, as a man that, you know, finds women attractive. You, you well, usually whenever I find actresses for my movies, uh, I hope, uh, you know, I find somebody I like, I hope that they'll keep working with me for ages. And uh, what's happened in the past is that I've discovered well, with my very first big discovery was when I discovered uh, Melissa Moore and I put her in her very first movie, Scream Dream. And then we did three more movies with her uh, Vampire Cop, Invasion of the Scream Queens, and Compelling Evidence. Uh, but she uh, moved to, when I first met her, she was living in Kentucky, so it wasn't a hard ship for her to drive down to Tennessee to film with me. But then she moved to California where it became more logistically difficult. And then she really blew up, started doing major movies, you know, like co-starring with Linda Blair in Repossessed and uh, co-starring, working for, um, you know, uh, Rift, that director Rifkin in the movie Invisible Maniac, which was a huge 35 millimeter cult movie, which is just came out on Blu-ray from Vinegar Syndrome, as a matter of fact, and they put it out in a special 4K edition. So that movie's now getting some major love from Vinegar Syndrome because they don't put every movie out in a 4K edition. Only, only the top cult movies like The Flesh for Frankenstein get that kind of treatment. So, uh, so I think this is actually the first Melissa Moore movie to be released in 4K her film Invisible Maniac. And so, and she also did a lot of Jim Wynorski movies and she did the uh, Roger Corman movies where he would produce them and send her to the Philippines, sort of like uh, she did one for him called Angel Fist where Roger Corman shipped her off to the Philippines to film it. So she basically just, you know, got so popular that she got, you know, uh, it was, uh, you know, she was constantly working and didn't have time to 
do mine anymore. So, uh, and then she decided ultimately to quit acting and just devote full time to her family's horse stable. So, but that's the case of somebody who really blew up in a great way. And that's what I always like to see. I like to see my actors blow up and become, I'd like to see all my actors become so successful that they, I can't afford them anymore because that's, that's the dream. You want your actors to be successful. You don't want to be a Grinch and hope your actors stay at this low level. You want everybody to have great careers. And so whenever that happens, I'm really excited for them. Yeah. Well, it's the, the one that I forgot that you'd worked with was uh, Aaron Brown, Misty Monday. Yeah, I only did one with her, but she was also really great to work with. Yeah, she she was hot for a minute, and then I I I had to go look her up because I all of a sudden she was like in. I mean, I well, her new movie is playing the theatrical in New York and L.A. It's uh, playing this month at the uh, at the uh, theater in Los Angeles, actually in Beverly Hills. Uh, so, oh yeah, it's playing at the Lumiere Music Hall Theater in Wilshire Boulevard. And she, it just played in um, Brooklyn, I believe. And so, yeah, she's getting quite a lot of attention for her new movie. It's called Thrust. Yep. There it is right there. Boom. See, I'd heard of Dead by Midnight, and then I found Thrust later. But, yeah, she was – it's funny because this is because when I worked at – I was uh, I worked at Hollywood Video back in the day, and we carried the hell out of her movies. <laughs> And it was one of the ones where it's like I started seeing the same person showing up, and so I started. Watching. Yeah, she definitely had a period where she was doing uh, quite a lot of movies, but uh, that was when she worked under that Misty Monday name. But uh, mm -hmm. now she does everything under her real name of Aaron Brown. It, it, it's um, it, it's sad because you know I would love to go to a video store and find your movies. I mean, I, I would definitely be... Well, it used to be you could find them at video stores, but video stores are sort so of gone, gone extinct. Uh, I mean, there's only one video store left within 45 minutes of my town. My town had one that went out of business last year. Now it's a liquor store. And so, yeah, you got to drive 40 minutes from my town to find the closest video store. And then, I mean, that's a, a store where you can actually rent videos like in the old days. Uh, other than that, you know, today what passes for a video store is the video section of Target and Walmart, and that's where you have to buy them. Or the video, the probably the best of the bunch is the video section at Barnes and Noble because at least they have better selection than Target and Walmart. At least when you go to Barnes and Noble's video store, which is in all of their bookstores, they have a lot of esoteric titles. They have a lot of imports, and uh, they always have a huge Criterion section. And then twice a year, they have a 50% off sale, which is coming right up. Uh, they have it every July and every November. So, yeah, looking forward to that July 50% off sale. In fact, I don't ever go to – I don't ever buy anything from Criterion until those two 50% off sales roll around because it's crazy to pay full price when you when you know the 50% off sale is just around the corner. I, I bought uh, – it's funny because it popped up. Uh, I just got – was it last year? I got – Stalker and Haxon. And yeah. I bought them at, oh God, I got them through something. I got them like ridiculously cheap. I'm like, like 12 bucks a, a Blu ray or something like that. It's like, hell yeah. Um, and, uh, well, Criterion's getting ready to put out this uh, Boris Karloff movie, Target. So that's one I want to get from Criterion. That's uh, one of his. Final best movies, one of the one, not the last movie he made, but the last great movie he made. Uh, that's the Peter man. Bogdanovich movie. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say, I, I remember seeing that when I was younger, and that's uh, uh, in the uh, the he's the actor being hunted. Is that what I'm remembering right? Well, it's got two parallel storylines. The whole movie cuts back and forth between two storylines. One storyline is about Boris Karloff being a washed-up horror actor. He's very pessimistic about his future career, uh, but he's obligated to go to the world premiere of his new horror movie at a local drive-in. And then the other storyline is about a guy who goes crazy and murders his whole family and then goes on a shooting spree, shooting people on the freeway. And then at the end of the movie, those two storylines come together where Boris Karloff is at the drive-in introducing his new movie, and the crazy shooter shows up with a drive-in shooting everybody in their cars. And then it's up to Boris Karloff to save the day and stop the shooter. Yeah. Okay. 
Now I remember it. It's it's what I'm sitting trying to remember because I'm I'm like I'm mixing like three movies together. <laughs> you know that movie was actually a collaboration between Peter Bogdanovich and Samuel Fuller. Samuel Fuller wrote the whole ending of that movie, but then he told Peter he didn't want to take any screenwriting credit, so he did that as a favor to Peter Bogdanovich writing the ending of the movie because Peter Bogdanovich couldn't figure out how to end the movie after he wrote the first part. So Sam Fuller came up with the idea: well, you need to have your two characters meet at the drive-in and have a showdown so peter vagadovich said that's a great idea i'll do that <laughs> well I'm, I'm getting off topic well, a little bit not quite man you're buying a ton of movies lately you've been posting all this good stuff lately um well one thing if people want to buy blu-rays one site i would recommend is on facebook go to the uh, boutique blu-ray page because that's where you can buy used Blu-rays at really ridiculously discounted prices from collectors. So instead of paying full retail, you know, if you do like to collect Blu-rays like I do, I always recommend checking out this boutique Blu-ray uh, Facebook page because that's where you can save some serious money. Boutique Blu-ray. All right. I'm gonna... Yeah, B-O-U-T-I-Q-U-E Blu-ray. Type that into your Facebook search window. And every time I go there, they just have a drop dead amazing selection of movies from different collectors and they're all usually a, like i bought a ton of stuff off them and it's usually always in perfect like new condition you know stuff that they watch once and then they want to sell it and um so yeah there's lots bar lots of big bargains to be had so there's no need to pay full retail when you can save so much money on this website see that's one of the nice things about being my business is when it does happen i get people who bring stuff in to sell to me and every once in a while, I just get a big stack of really good movies <laughs> that I get for next to nothing because, you know, they're selling them to me at bulk pricing, essentially. But yeah, that was one thing about in the 80s. I did my own horror zine called The Splatter Times. And back when I was the editor of my own horror zine, that was one of the fringe benefits was that video distributors would send me free copies of their new releases. So uh, that was back in the days when everything was on VHS. So. Yes. I used to get these big boxes in the mail from distributors just full of VHS tapes of their brand new releases all shrink wrapped. I, I wish, wish I was still get on a, getting a deal like that now, but that's just one of the fringe benefits that comes from editing your own horror publication. But the well, cost of doing your own magazine nowadays, the printing costs are so ridiculous that it would certainly outweigh the benefits of getting free tapes. Oh, yeah, definitely. I used to get free tapes out the yin-yang back in, and I uh, was the assistant manager of Hollywood Video. We'd always get the screeners, so I'd get boxes, of because we didn't use them. So they're like, just take them. So I end up with just tons and tons of screeners, so you can watch them and tell you to decide if we wanted to buy them or not. I'm like, we don't decide. Hollywood Video decides, <laughs> but... Oh, yeah, yeah, I miss Hollywood Video. They used to... They used to be all over the place, and now they're all gone. That's sort of sad. Well, Hollywood Video was its own worst enemy. They 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 paid their employees crap. They they they. I don't think Hollywood Video ever carried any of my movies. Although I did get two of my movies picked up by Blockbuster Video. Well, I, I know, uh, I know, I know at least one that they that you that they carried. Which and, one was that? Uh, that was the uh, Misty Monday one. Uh, oh, Hollywood Video carried that. Yep, I know because I I I own it because I got it from there. One time I was one time I was in London and I was walking down the street in London and I saw that they had Blockbuster Video over there too. So I went in and I found the Misty Monday movie I directed on the shelf of this London uh, Blockbuster. Only since it was a UK release version, it had a different cover than the American release of the same movie. So. I definitely snatched that. They had two copies, and I bought both of them because I figured, well, I want the UK cover because whenever my movies get released in foreign countries, I always like to get the foreign editions so that I can have all the covers. Well, I, I, I've talked to a couple other directors to do this. Have you ever done this? Have you ever gone to a video store, signed your movie, and put it back on the shelf? <laughs> no, I've never done that. One time, when I first started making movies, I went into a video store, and I saw that they had a copy of my movie, Savage Vengeance. So I told the video store owner, oh, hey, I made this movie. And then I just got a mouthful screaming at me saying it was the worst movie ever, and that customers were complaining about it. And she just wanted to have my head for when she found out I was the one that made this movie. 
back then, back in those days, and when you ran a video store in the eighties, videotapes to stock your store with were really expensive. It was not unusual for a new release movie to cost fifty to seventy dollars. All right, well, we're going to bid Donald a good night. We lost him. Uh, looks like his battery went dead. Um, go check out Debbie Does Demons. Uh, it is a fun, cheesy movie. Um, great bunch of people working on that. Jessa Flux, uh, Angel Bradford, uh, Morgan Thompson, uh, Adam Freeman. Um, there's, the list goes on. Um, good bunch of people. Fun movie. Um, if you're, if you're worried about nudity and stuff, do not watch this movie. If you like cheesy 80s throwback, then you will love this movie. Um, I don't want to give much away. It is, it is good and fun and enjoyable. And, uh, yeah, but we'll send a link to it at the end of the episode. You can send a link to Donald and you guys all take care and I'll see y'all there. Captain. Bye.